Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he pleased to give it to. Moreover, the father judges no one, but is entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself." And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Thank you, Diana. Thank you for reading the scripture. And I would like for us to say the Apostles' Creed together. It's going to be, it's in your book, uh, the hymn book on 881, but it's also on the screen. And, uh, you know, we're reading this, only reading this because that it's, I, I believe it's, uh, it matches up with Scripture. It's a good thing. It's not creed in the bad sense of the word. It's creed in the good sense of the word. So let's uh, say this Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And you can be seated. So I hope you leave your Bible open. We want to go through uh, these verses together in John chapter 5. As you know, I was uh, gone to see my mother in a nursing home in Kentucky last week. Uh, she kind of had a rough time. We had to bring her to the hospital, and, but she kind of pulled out of it. So when I left on Tuesday morning, she, she was hanging in there. So we're still praying, but... Uh, we also, my brother and his wife, took me to the Ark Encounter. How many are familiar with the Ark Encounter? Yeah, it's a replica of Noah's Ark. I mean, it's this huge boat that was built with the exact size of what is recorded in Genesis. It's like a football field and a half long 
It's about a half a football field wide. And it's got three decks. And it was just amazing. And I was just thrilled to see it. I would love to take a whole busload of people, uh, not only to the Ark Encounter, but there's also a Creation Museum 30 miles away. Really good stuff. But that Ark reminded me that God saved eight people. He saved them. But it also reminded me that he destroyed the wicked, completely destroyed them. Eight of them were saved because they were in the ark. And the rest of the world was destroyed. Wow. And I know he gave a rainbow, and he's not going to destroy the world anymore by water, but the judge is coming. Here comes the judge. Remember Flip Wilson in the 70s? Here come the judge. He's coming. The judge is coming, and his name is Jesus, and we have a date with destiny. We have a date with deity. He's coming. It's called Judgment Day. It's a basic belief of Christians. It's called the great and terrible day of the Lord, great for those who believe, terrible for unbelievers. What a thought. We're going to meet Jesus Christ face to face. We just recited, from thence he shall come to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. The Bible talks about a great judgment, a day of reckoning when sin will be judged and wrong will be righted. Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth, only this time he's not coming to a cradle. He's coming to a crown. He's not coming this time to redeem us. He's coming to reign over us. He's not coming this time as Mary's little lamb. He's coming as the Lion of Judah. He's not coming this time in shame. He is coming in splendor. And when he came the first time, there was no room for him in the end. And when he comes again, he's coming to actually possess the earth. When he came the first time, he stood before Pilate. But when he comes again, Pilate's going to stand before him. And so will every one of us. Every one of us. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. What a sobering thought. Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Let that sink in for a minute. Judgment day. It's coming. And it may be sooner than you think. And I pray today that 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 subject will etch itself upon your consciousness and just reverberate through your soul. Because listen, Calvary, one of the most solemn facts that I know is that one day, one day, every unsaved man, every unsaved woman, unsaved boy or girl in this world will come to judgment. He shall come to judge the quick the living and the dead. What a thought, but it's real. It will happen. And it's described in Revelation 20, you know, where it says, gathered before the throne, that great, great white throne, uh, the great and the small will be there. It's, 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 this, it's talked about in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man who comes with all his holy angels, he will gather the nations before him, and he's going to separate the nations, just like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And the the sheep will go to everlasting life, and the goats will go to everlasting destruction. That's what it says. So it's coming. That day is coming. And, you know, when I was at that ark encounter, it just reminded me that the ark is really a picture of Jesus in the New Testament. You know, it's time to get into the ark. It's time to get into that safe place, to be connected with Christ. He is the door. 
And we go through that door to find safety. And even in our text, in John chapter 5, it's talking about uh, judgment and resurrection. Look at verse 25. Let me reread what Diana just read. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And then verse 28. Do not marvel at this or don't be amazed by this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So I want to give you six observations today about judgment. Six observations as I have read through this passage. And observation number one, Jesus raises all the dead. Verse 25, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, when I first read this, I thought the only dead being spoken of were believers, but when you bring in verses 28 and 29, the picture kind of changes. Jesus refers back to what he just said in verse 25. He says, don't be amazed at this. Don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So who will be raised by Jesus? Verse 28, all who are in the tombs. And who does that include? Verse 29, those who are raised to life and those who are raised to judgment. In other words, believers and unbelievers. And this is what Daniel taught. This is what Daniel taught in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that's what Paul said to Felix when he was on trial. Remember in Acts chapter 24, verse 15, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And so the main point here is that Jesus, he raises all the dead. All the dead will be raised. Let that sink in. All the dead who have ever lived will be raised from the dead by Jesus. All the nations will be gathered before him. The great ones, the small ones, everybody will be gathered before him. Millions of Chinese, millions of Nigerians and Indonesians and Germans, and he's going to raise up Julius Caesar from the dead, and Judas Iscariot, and Isaiah the prophet, and Michelangelo, and Johann Sebastian Bach, and Adolf Hitler, and Marilyn Monroe, and Kurt Cobain, and Princess Diana, and Michael Jackson, and Ted Kennedy. He's going to raise them, and they will stand before him, and so will you. And millions of other people, all people without exception, will be raised from the dead by Jesus because Jesus is superior to all those people. And Jesus is sovereign over all these people and he holds them in being and he will give existence to their decomposed bodies so that there is a continuity between the body that was and the body that will be raised he lets no one go out of existence. Some, some people believe that. When you die, you just go out of existence. He lets no one go out of existence. There is no such loss for the righteous, and there's no such hope for the wicked. Jesus, he raises them all. That's observation number one. After death, you will still exist. Observation number two, 
I just put down uh, Jesus' mighty voice. He raises the dead by his mighty voice. The second part of verse 25, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And, you know, Paul, he speaks of a cry of command at the second coming of Christ. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of, with the voice of, of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, it doesn't necessarily say who issues this cry of command. It could be an angel, it could be God the Father, it could be, you know, Jesus as he comes. John 5:25 says that Jesus will in fact raise the dead by his voice. Hebrews 1:3 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17 says he's before all things. In him all things hold together. So if Christ is holding uh, the universe in existence, if he's holding together the material world and doing it by his word, and if he's speaking this universe into existence at every moment, then the resurrection would certainly be by the word of Jesus. The resurrection is reconstructing parts of the material world, that is, our bodies, And if he holds that world in being by his word, then he would rebuild it by his voice. So we need to stand in awe of Jesus. That's what we're doing here. We're worshiping Jesus, the one who died for our sins. According to the scripture, he was buried and he was raised on the third day. We need to to stand in amazement of the majesty of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Stand in awe of the power of his voice. When he speaks as creator, nothingness obeys him. When he speaks as the one who raises the dead, decomposed matter obeys him. Remember chapter one? In his prologue of John's gospel, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. So bow your heart today. Bow your heart today. Worship Jesus today. Worship Jesus Christ today. His mighty voice. He raises all the dead. Observation number three, uh, the hour has come. Interesting phrase, the hour has come. The hour of his resurrection has come. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. That's interesting. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And so in what sense has has the hour come when the dead would hear the voice of Jesus and live. I think there's more than one sense in which John means this, but one I think is kind of clear. Jesus was showing in his ministry on earth the sort of thing that would characterize what's to come, the age to come. You know, he cast out demons from some people on earth because guess what? There's gonna be no demons in the age to come. He healed some sick people on earth because there will be no sickness in the age to come. And he raised three people from the dead because there will be no death in the age to come. It's a foretaste of the resurrection. A taste of what's to come is here in Christ. And in the Gospel of John, the, the hour is now here, you know, when the dead hear and live, because that is what happens uh, to Lazarus in chapter 7. We're going to get to that eventually, John chapter, uh, not 7, but 11. Lazarus had been dead for four days. You know the story. Jesus goes and to see his uh, 
grieving friends, Mary and Martha, that's Lazarus' sisters, and he says to Martha in John eleven twenty three, 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha says to him in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, she agrees the hour is coming when the dead will rise, but she doesn't understand what Jesus meant when he said in John 5.25 that an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will rise. So Jesus says to her in John 11.25 and 26, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. In other words, the hour of resurrection is here. And it's here because I am here. Because I am the resurrection and the life. I've come into the world in advance of the last day before the final judgment to show who I am and what eternity in my presence is going to be like. And then Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, tells them to move the stone, and in John eleven forty three and 44, it says, that he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. And his hands and his feet were bound with the linen straps, kind of like a mummy, I would think. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. The hour is here because the mighty voice is here. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You will rise from your grave just as surely, just as bodily, just as obediently as Lazarus did. Jesus was showing in that hour what the last hour was going to be like. He was revealing more and more of his glory, the glory of his sovereign voice over death. He commands and the command creates what it commands. Somebody said, I'm sure you've heard this, that you know, when he got there and he, he said, Lazarus, come forth. So he had to say Lazarus because if he wouldn't have said Lazarus, everybody would have came out of the tomb because everybody would obey the voice of the Son of God. But he had to say, just you, Lazarus. Lazarus, you come forth. Observation number four. I just call it the, the power of the Son of God. Think about the power of the Son of God to raise the dead. It demonstrates that Jesus is God. Verse 26, I think, is the support. It's the argument for how the Son can command the dead so that they live. It says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now, you might think the point here is to show that the Son is dependent on the Father to give life. But John doesn't say, as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to give life to give that life to others. In other words, it doesn't say the Father is the spring and the Son is kind of like the stream that flows from it. It doesn't say the Father is the source and the Son is the channel. John uses the same words for the Son's having life that he uses for the Father's having life. As the Father has life in himself, so he is granted, that is from all eternity, the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus has life in himself, therefore he is God. I think John wants to say, yes, the Father begets the Son, you know, from eternity. There was never a time when there was no Son. You know, it's always been God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, right? 
And so the Son is the perfect image of the Father. And in this case, the Son has life in himself just like the Father has life in himself. He has, he has it as source, not as a channel. The life comes from the Son and not just through the Son. So when we think of Jesus raising all the dead by his mighty voice, I think John wants us to think of him doing this by the, the power of God, <laughs> the power of divine life that he has in himself, absolutely. The same way the Father has life in himself, absolutely. Because Jesus is the way, and Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. He is life. He doesn't channel life. He is life. In fact, he wrote in his first letter, remember, this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Observation number five, we could just say the son of man. Uh, interesting phrase, observation, and I believe that the son of God must also be a son of man or the son of man in order to be qualified in his role for judgment, in the judgment. Verse 27, it says, he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. I know that that son of man phrase, it can be used like in a godly or exalted way, even divine way, like the title in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. But it seems to me that here the emphasis falls on another qualification besides the exalted divine one. The judge of the universe, the one who raises them all from the dead and passes judgment on them, must be a son of man. That is, he must be human. He must be a vulnerable human. Remember what Paul said to the people on Mars Hill? Remember Acts 17, 31? He said, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So the judge of the world, from God's point of view, must be a son of man, a human being. A suffering, slain man will judge the world. Remember what John himself wrote in Revelation chapter 5? An angel cries out, who's worthy? Who's worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Now this stands for opening of the end of history, the unleashing on the world of God's final judgment, those bowls, those trumpets, those seals. And the answer to the question comes back, behold, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. In other words, God intends that the one who judges the world will have been a slain lamb, a crucified man. The Lion of Judah must first be the Lamb of God. The judging Son of God at the last day must first be a suffering Son of Man. And so why must our judge be a man? Why must our judge be a suffering man? I think the answer is that God... Um, seems that it would be right or fitting that human beings be judged by the one who knows what it's like to be human. 
And not just human, but one who suffered to deliver the rest of us from judgment. There's something suitable and right that the one who sentences men to heaven or to hell would be a suffering savior. That the judge of all men be able to look into the eye, into every eye, into your eye and my eye, and say, I too was tempted. I too suffered. The last observation um, I want to say is just write, you know, according to our deeds. Just write that down. That's interesting to me, especially, you know, if you're a believer in uh, just, you know, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, but we're going to be judged according to our deeds. Eternal life and eternal judgment at the last day will be in accordance with to our deeds, good or evil. That's what the text says. Verse 28 and 29, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now this doesn't mean that we're, that we're justified by our good works or that God is on our side because of our good works, or that we're united to Christ by our good works. It means the absolute opposite. It means the absolute reverse. If you are justified by faith, your faith will produce good works. And if God is on your side, he will empower you to do good works. And if you are united and connected to Christ, you're going to bear the fruit of good works. And in this way, your good works actually become the evidence. Your good works become the confirmation, the verification at the judgment that you were justified by faith alone and that God was on your side by grace alone and that you were united to Christ before you did any good work. It's faith alone. It's grace alone. It's in Christ alone. We're going to sing that song in just a minute. In Christ alone. In other words, faith is not just saying we believe. It's what we do It's what we do because we believe. I'll say it again. Faith is not just saying that we believe. It's what we do because we believe. Jesus said, hey, you will be known or or, or you will will know them by their fruits. And that's the whole point of John chapter 15 that we're going to get to in a few weeks. Verses 1 to 8. Verse 5, it says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Apart from the vine, there are no good works. In fact, our good works, they're like filthy rags. You know, what we think is righteous is like filthy rags in God's, from God's viewpoint. There are no good works apart from Christ. And I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know how good you think you are, but you're not good enough. There are no good works apart from Jesus Christ. And so you can't get into the vine by doing good works. You can only be united to the vine through trusting in the vine and resting in the vine and receiving and being satisfied in all the supplies of the vine. Listen, Calvary, you will be raised someday. You will be raised someday. You're going to be raised from the dead someday, and your decomposed body will obey the voice of the Son of God. And you will rise from the dead, and you will face him The one who was humanly tempted like you are, and he will look at your life, not for perfection, 
but simply for the evidence that you were abiding in the vine, trusting and resting and receiving and drinking from him and being satisfied in him and bearing the fruit of love. So receive Jesus. You know, it's like when I was at that ark, all I could think of was Jesus. It's time to get into the ark. It's time to get connected to Jesus. It's time to go into that safe place, into Christ. Let him come into you. He is our ark of salvation. It's time to trust Jesus and to love Jesus. Is it time to cross over? Is it time to get into the ark? John chapter 5, verse 24 Billy Graham's favorite verse, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He's crossed over from death to life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. That's why I'm preaching. See, God has lifted up some blockades for you to keep you from going to hell. You know, it might be the songs we sing or the scriptures we read or the, the prayers that we pray or the Bible that we preach, the tears that we shed for our family and friends who don't know the Lord. I think they're all God's blockades on the road to hell. But above all of this list, there is a cross. Listen, for you to go to hell, you're going to have to climb over and trample beneath your feet the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For the cross is God's blockade on the road to hell. That's why Jesus was born. And yes, there was a cross in the cradle. He was born to die in the cross. He was born to take the judgment. He was born to take the punishment that your sins deserved. Do you know him? Are you in the ark? Are you saved? Do you trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Is it time to cross over? Years ago, there were some men out on the prairie, and the prairie got caught fire, and the winds were blowing 30, 40, some 50 miles an hour, and they were sweeping that fire along, and the men tried to outrun the fire, and it became evident that they would never outrun the fire. And one said to the other one, hey, we're going to burn to death. We're going to perish. But the other man said, no, I know what to do. And he reached in his pocket, and he took out a book of matches. And he struck a match and he knelt down and he set the grass on one side of him on fire and the wind caught that grass and it began to burn and now it seems that there was fire like everywhere and his friend said, you fool, we are surrounded by fire, we're going to die. And the other guy said, no we're not, I know what I'm doing and they waited a moment and then he said, step over here on the burned off place because that big fire cannot come where the fire has already been. Are you listening to me? The fire of God's judgment fell at the cross of Calvary, and that's where I'm standing today, amen? The fire cannot come where it's already been, amen? <laughs> you see, I've settled my case out of court. The fire cannot come where it's already been. And Jesus on the cross, this is why he was born, folks. Jesus on the cross endured the fires of God's wrath. And those very words are in this last song that we're going to sing. The fires of God's wrath. And he took your punishment for you. And the Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So are you in Christ? Are you in the ark? Where are you standing? If you're not sure about your salvation... Today is your day. If I were not saved, if I were not right with God, 
I wouldn't let this day end before I bowed my knee and said, Lord, I don't want to be God anymore. I don't want to call the shots anymore. I recognize, Jesus, that you're the Savior. You're my Savior. You're my King of kings and my Lord of lords. You see, one day everyone will bow the knee. How much better to do it in redemption than retribution? How much better to receive him as Savior than to face him as judge? Listen, Christianity is not a creed. And it's not a code, and it's not a cause. It's Christ. It's Christ. Do you know him? He came to earth that you might go to heaven. He was born of a virgin that you might be born again. When he came the first time, there was no room for him in the end when he was, he was just born in a stable. But now the question today is, is there room for Christ in your heart? It's like Noah's getting the animals in the ark. The door is open only for a a time, and then God is going to shut the door. God will shut the door eventually, and the judgment will come. There's plenty of room at the cross. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will in no wise cast out. Whosoever will may come. There's room for you where you come to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful that you made a way for us, Lord. I thank you for all the pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament, including Noah's Ark, Lord, that you are our ark of safety, Lord, that you are our only hope in a world that's headed for destruction, Lord, that you will come again to judge the living and the dead, and we have a picture of that in the whole book of Revelation with the judgments of the seals and the bowls and the trumpets. God, I thank you that we can be safe, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It just wants us, we just want to scream hallelujah. We're so thankful to be saved because we're all going to face that day. Either when you come back or when we die. And our bodies will die. But we will not cease to exist. And I thank you, Lord, that you've made a way for us to spend eternity with you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So I thank you for this gospel, Lord. I thank you that we stand in grace alone. We stand faith alone. We stand in Christ alone. And even as we receive the tithe and our offerings, Lord, I pray that we would just give our lives back to you and realize that you're our only hope. It's in Christ alone. So give us, um, Lord, just give us what we need right now to worship you as we gather the offering in Jesus' name. Amen.